Welcome to OnAmp. Oh no, not another marketing podcast. I'm your host, Will Davis. I'm the Chief Marketing Technology Officer and co-founder at RightSource with over 20 years experience in the marketing space. On this podcast, we'll cover everything from strategy to content to MarTech platforms and everything in between. You'll hear honest talk about successes and failures with our guests, plenty of analogies, maybe a couple jokes, and a lot of data points along the way. That's how I think sales and marketing can really combine to be incredibly powerful, is when you can know that much about your client, put it on different mediums and platforms with content, and then figure out a way to distribute that content to those ideal customers. Welcome. My guest today, Joey Gilkey, founder and chief revenue officer of Tribe Prospecting. Thanks for joining us today, Joey. Hey, Will. I appreciate you having me, man. So getting right into it, uh, let's learn a little bit about Joey. You shared with me a fun fact, and I'll let you share that with the audience too. Sure. Yeah. So a fun fact a lot of people know about me is that I played Division One college football at a high level. I was a tight end in college. What they don't know and what made me a little weird in college was that uh, simultaneously being a, a record-holding Division One football player, I was also a theater uh, major, if you will. Um, so I would, <laughs> I would leave practice uh, running into 300-pound linemen, essentially, and uh, go get on a stage and perform. So... <laughs> I would I get I got razzed by a few of my teammates a little bit, but uh, it was just something I was passionate about. I love being on stage, I love performing, being in front of people. Uh, but that is my little known fact. Very interesting, a little dichotomy there. Yeah, quite a bit. So going from football to acting to chief revenue officer and sales, I mean, some of those, I guess, skills are translatable or at least things you've learned. Um, how did you get into this business? Yeah, so I think that I've always had, um, so along with theater, I was also in psychology. I've always had this desire to understand people and behavior, uh, which lends itself really well to marketing and sales specifically. Uh, but out of college, ended up getting into a traditional sales role like any you know, oftentimes a lot of college football players for some reason translates from the field to uh, a sales career so naturally that's where I went my dad is a high-level salesperson he works uh, does national sales for Home Depot um, and so I've always seen what sales can create type of life it can create for you and so I went down the path of uh, taking sales jobs business development uh, a couple different industries. I was in the tech industry for a little bit, did recruiting, uh, did risk management, which was a weird left turn for me. Uh, but somewhere down the line, I fell in love with digital marketing. I believe it was something involved with uh, inbound marketing, HubSpot, uh, something caught my attention. So I, I started going that route of HubSpot. And that led me to essentially a VP of sales role uh, eventually at a HubSpot or inbound marketing agency. Um, through that, you know, helped grow that business and realized that I was good at it for one, but for two, I was building someone else's dream. So my, uh, next inclination was, well, I'm going to build my own. And so I set out on a journey, left that, uh, nice paying job and decided to, uh, essentially bootstrap my own business, uh, which is now today tribe prospecting. And we've grown tremendously since then, um, and we are a business that uh, is centered around outsourced sales. So we help high-ticket, high-value businesses 
with outsourced sales solutions. So that's interesting. I mean, historically, sales and marketing can be a great match or somewhat of a constant conflict. Uh, what do you see that works well when sales and marketing are, are aligned and working together? Yeah, so and that's the, the buzz where we're here today, right, is the marketing and sales alignment. Um, I think it's a buzzword because people see the need for it. I just don't think anyone knows what it truly means or what it actually looks like. And I agree, oftentimes sales and marketing is always competing for a budget. And so sales does not get along with marketing and vice versa. Marketing doesn't typically get along with sales because most dollars go into sales as opposed to marketing. And so marketing feels a little bit left out, um, which shouldn't be the case. It should absolutely be, uh, we work in tandem. You know, I think one thing that, that I have realized in building a business that's scalable, uh, that's very growth oriented, is that sales and marketing are not necessarily two separate things. They ought to work together and gel really well. And I think that's the, it's the same case for every aspect of business. I think that we don't need to silo sales and marketing and operations. I think this should all work in tandem. Um, sales can work without marketing. Marketing can work without sales. But there's real power when you combine the two. Um, so, yes, there's a constant conflict. But for those who figure out that alignment and what that actually looks like, and I'll get into what that what I think it looks like in my opinion, um, there's a lot of power when you can align the two and, and mesh those. And so when it comes to actually meshing them, what I see that works well is um, sales has a different ear to the ground when it comes to the marketplace that you're targeting. And marketing has a different ear to the ground when it comes to targeting your marketplace. Uh, they're both, you know, different mediums uh, where they're hearing from the market. They're getting feedback from their ideal customers. That information, that data compiled into one place can be really powerful when it comes to positioning, when it comes to um, knowing how to address your ideal client's pain points, which is incredibly powerful for a salesperson specifically. If I can come in hand, with a, a nice piece of content that's helping solve a pain point that instantly develops credibility and trust and authority in the marketplace, which makes my job as a salesperson a lot easier. And my marketing department is equipping me with that powerful tool. So I can, we can go deeper, but that's a higher level of how those two work together well. And you mentioned content as really something that's critical for both sales and marketing. What do you see as the role of good content in the sales cycle? Yeah, I, I'll give you a little story. Um, so tribe prospecting was built on the back of sales process combined with valuable content. Uh, what that means was, and my niche started off, we just specifically work with marketing agencies. Now we're, we're branching out into SaaS and IT and, and manufacturing, but as a whole, we work with agencies. And so I knew that as I defined, again, based on data that I have collected um, in sales and in marketing, I understood where we needed to position ourselves in the marketplace in order for us to be advertising, in order for people to trust us. And so I created a long form piece of content, one piece, about 6,500 word guide on how to build a sales process for a, uh, an agency that maybe doesn't have one yet. So essentially an elementary or beginning, a beginner sales process for agencies. And I broke it down. I gave them the special sauce, if you will, in this guide, which a lot of people are afraid of giving away tactics and, mm -hmm. and things that are very valuable because they feel like they're giving away their secret sauce, which is what, which is essentially where they make their money. And I would argue as a salesperson, as a founder and a business owner, 
It's quite the opposite. I think that develops trust and it develops authority. Yes, some people might take that and run with it and never pay you. They were probably never going to pay you in the first place. Right, right. But for those who come and, and look at that piece of content and they see how much value you're giving, that makes you trustworthy. The fact that you're willing to give away the secret sauce at no cost, that's when people start throwing money at you is when they say, I trust that person. I trust that business. And so what happened with Tribe was, again, we were bootstrapped. So I funded it myself, uh, took on no outside investment, had zero clients. I didn't leave my the agency that I was selling for and bring clients with me. I started from zero. And we went from zero to $250,000 in revenue in less than 60 days. Uh, and the reason we did that was I applied what I knew from an outbound sales perspective in terms of how to get in front of people. And I applied that piece of content and I put that piece of content, which was the right message, the right person at the right time, which I think is actually your tagline at right for, at least it has been. And if I butchered it, I'm sorry. Um, but I know to some degree it's about how do we get the right message? Again, this guy that I thought was the right message, the right person, so in this case, an agency owner at the right time when they're experiencing the pain of not having a consistently full pipeline. And so that's why we scaled really quickly was I took a piece of content and I got it to the right people. And I did that through sales and marketing combined. And I think as you talked about, it's really important to understand, okay, what were those agency owner, agency leader pain points? How do you help to address them? And how do you create that trust with a really valuable piece of content that you can use uh, both to attract folks as well as on an outbound perspective? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I believe in what's called ideal customer profiles um, or buyer personas. Some people might call them. Um, they're kind of interchangeable. But what my goal is when I develop a sales strategy or outreach is I want to understand what makes my ideal client tick. And I want to understand why it is that they're my ideal client. And, and we do that through gathering information and data that is readily available to us through different mediums. And, and marketing has a lot of that data uh, through different technology, um, through maybe if you've produced content in the past, uh, you know what messaging works. Um, and then also from an operation standpoint. So again, we're not siloing sales, marketing, and operations. They all work together. Operation standpoint, we understand, you know, where's our best margins? Um, what service do we offer best? And who is the one who's, who's been buying it where we have the greatest margins? We enjoy doing it the most. Um, and we deliver the best results. That's the intersection of my ideal customer. And then when you understand that, then you start diving deep into, okay, what is that person's goals? Um, what is it that, that keeps them up at night? What is their pain points? Okay. If they don't solve those pain points, what are the consequences they're going to experience? And then from there, it's then, okay, if we get in front of that person, what is the objection that they're going to probably have to our service or solution that we're providing to them? And so what I like to do with content is address those different things. So I want to speak to their goals. Here's how my solution helps you with those goals. I want to speak to those pain points. Here's the pain points you're, you're experiencing. Here's how you can fix them and how it relates to my product or service. Um, here's the consequences that you're likely heading towards if you don't fix those pain points. Here's my solution. And then, uh, you know, the, the objections they might have. Here's things that you're probably wrestling through. It's budget. It's timing. It's I'm trying to do this in-house. I'm going to go and address that in content, and then I'm going to put that content in front of you so that before you ever object to me, it's almost like I was a fly on your wall in your board meeting, and I know everything about you. 
And I've already addressed those things before we ever have to get on the phone. That's how I think sales and marketing can really combine to be incredibly powerful is when you can know that much about your client, put it on different mediums and platforms with content, and then figure out a way to distribute that content to those ideal customers, whether it be through outbound sales or in a sales process, or it's through other distribution channels like advertising or organic on Google, those types of things. Um, it's probably a very long answer to your question, but that hopefully was somewhat helpful and concise. No, I think that's great. And what we were talking about what successful, you know, in your case, your successful clients or successful companies are doing with content. Um, I guess flipping it around, why do some salespeople neglect good content? Are they just lazy? Do they not value content? You know, why does that happen? Yeah, I think it's that that thing we talked about at the beginning, the polarization between sales and marketing. I think salespeople are essentially brought up and taught that marketing is just freely creatives in the marketing department who do design stuff. Um, and marketing people are, you know, simul- you know, at the same time, kind of taught that salespeople are just hard-nosed, uh, you know, in your face type of people and they just never gel. I think that's one reason. Um, I think that there's just an ego thing too when it comes to salespeople specifically, um, that they don't need help from some frilly designer, right, in the marketing department to help them sell. They can do it on their own, you know, just through grinding and hard work. And I think that's where there's a lot of opportunity that's missed by salespeople. I do think it's partially lazy. I think it's probably also partially ego driven. And it's just honestly what a lot of us salespeople are taught um, as we grow up in the sales world is that we don't need help from marketing. Uh, it's also why sales gets the most budget because I think there's just miscommunication on the value of combining the two and how we're actually not two siloed departments. We're one department, which makes up growth. That if we would just work, figure out a way to work together, uh, we're incredibly powerful together. So we talked about sales a bit. Let's flip the tables around um, marketers. Where are they maybe going too far or taking on functions that might best be handled by salespeople? This is probably near and dear to your heart. It is. Yeah, I think that oftentimes with marketers, we think everything can be solved with content, with advertising, with it's called a sales funnel right? It's in the marketing world, but for some reason we call it a sales funnel. And we think that we can convert, especially in my world, right? My world is high ticket, high value. Oftentimes you can't make a sale in this, this particular industry or world. You like our average ticket price is $60,000 to work with us. I'm not going to sell $60,000 on an online funnel period. I'm going to get people into the funnel. I'm going to get people interested. I'm going to be able to qualify them. I'm going to be able to retarget them with valuable content in the middle of the funnel. But at the end of the day, I got to jump on the phone as a salesperson and I've got to convince that individual of why it is that I can solve their pain points or mm-hmm. help them achieve their goals. I see SaaS, you know, startups all the time who they want to throw all their money into uh, how is it that we grow our brand and that brand is then going to help convert, you know, our $800 a month, uh, marketing automation software, whatever, whatever that tool might be. And I think that if you could just figure out a way to align using inbound to attract the right types of people. And then, you know, one thing that's important in the sales process that a lot of people neglect is follow up, you know, just because someone interacts with your content at some point doesn't mean that if just because you throw them a retargeting advertising uh, on Facebook with a different piece of content that they're going to convert into a sale and and hand you a check for $10,000. It's not going to happen. And so 
how is it that you can say, I play a big part in the sales process as a whole from a cold prospect to a closed deal, but I can't play the whole thing. I need to be the stuff that I can create can be leveraged by the salespeople. It can help facilitate the salesperson who closes. But I think, again, it comes down to ego. I think that we need to say we need to work in tandem and realize where we're strong uh, and where we're, where we're helpful to the other person on my team. That marketer is going to be helpful to me. I'm going to be helpful to that marketer. Um, so I think where marketers fall short, similar to salespeople, I think they think they can do it without the salesperson. I think salespeople think they can do it without the marketer. I think both of those are wrong. <laughs> both of those are wrong. I think that's right. Um, so as someone who's a leader or founder at your company, um, a company that is focused on providing sales services, but also clearly you market the company. So what do you care about as it relates to marketing? Yeah. You know, I think one thing that I have been, uh, I call it convicted about, is that I have fallen more in the boat of relying heavily on outbounds. And it's been incredibly mm-hmm. successful to this point for us. Um, however, I also realized that I'm leaving a lot of money and opportunity on the table if I don't combine my efforts with more content and more value. Um, and so one thing that we're really working on is probably exactly what you guys do at RightSource, knowing your business very well, is we are working on how is it that we can create really valuable macro content, macro content being long form, stuff like this podcasts and video, um, things that are long form pieces of content. And how do we splinter and repurpose and utilize that macro content and turn them into little bits of micro content that we can distribute across every platform and it'd be appropriate for each platform because something that goes on LinkedIn is going to be, have to be different or in a different form on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or medium. Simultaneously, something on YouTube is going to have to be different than something we post on LinkedIn. And so all those things are something that we're actually in the process of developing a content plan, if you will, of creating macro pillar content and then micro, I guess what you call bricks. You know, you have your pillars mm-hmm. of the building and you have your individual bricks, which is smaller micro. And so that's kind of the plan that we're developing currently internally. Uh, thankfully, I don't have to do a lot of that. It's not necessarily my specialty. I'm okay at it, but I have, you know, my COO who's really good at that and some other director of strategy who's helping with that as well. But that's something we're investing heavily in is not only continuing to focus on our outbound process, which is, you know, sales, outreach, cold outreach, but also how do we generate more inbound um, leads that are already trusting us by the time we get on the phone. So that's the difference, right? With, with an inbound lead, they're a little bit warmer than if I develop an outbound lead um, by just doing strictly outbound sales. There's a couple more friction points, a couple more hurdles to get over in the sales process if you're just doing sales. Um, you can be really good at that, like we are, but you're still leaving money on the table if you don't pursue the inbound through content and through developing trust on other mediums that drive leads to your door that are already qualified. Yeah, that's really critical. You hit on um, content and not just having some really large assets or some small ones, but really thinking about the different size, the different format, having it digestible in different ways to the buyer. And so um, people aren't just creating more and more content that isn't effective it's really thinking about what is this content doing to drive things forward for my buyer and drive things forward for my business exactly yeah so 
you know, I think that there's all sorts of different content agencies out there. And I think, or just content departments and businesses. And I think that a lot of them do it wrong because at one point somewhere in the digital marketing ecosystem years ago, it was, we need to be putting out as many blog posts as possible, whether it's one a week, five a week, whatever it is. And that's how we're going to grow our organic. That's how we're going to grow our inbound. And though that's not entirely untrue, I think that there is, they're leaving a lot of meat in the bone there. I think that it's not necessarily about how do we create as much content as possible, but how do we create as much quality content as possible? And I think that's where we come back to that macro content. What is it that it's just something that's an amazing piece of value that we can put onto the world as a big chunk. And then how do we take that? We spend a ton of time and money and resources on creating that macro piece. How do we squeeze as much value out of that one big piece as possible? And so that might mean taking a 60 minute video and splicing into, you know, six, 10 minute chunks and then taking those 10 minute chunks and splicing those into 60 second chunks that you can distribute on Instagram um, or taking five minutes of that and distributing on Instagram stories and Facebook stories, and then maybe extracting the audio and create a podcast out of that and then take that and transcribe it and turn it into a blog. You see, like that's 10 pieces of content from one. And, and each of those can be tailored to each individual platform, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Medium, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube, all these different platforms that your ideal customers are spending their time on. And it's tailored to what they're looking to consume while they're on that. You know, when someone jumps on Instagram, they have a lot different mindset than when they jump on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, they think business, business, business. And so you can have a longer form piece of content or a you know, 10 minute video on LinkedIn that provides a ton of value. On Instagram, people are looking for bite-sized chunks. And so what, how can you provide them some sort of value and a smaller, maybe a little bit more creative or entertaining uh, bent to it? And, and then go from there to speak to them where they're at. And I don't know if it's psychology. Again, I'm a psych major. So I think it is, you know, behavioral psychology is when people are on certain mediums or platforms, they are thinking in a different way. So how do you speak to them where they're at? Yeah. And I think as, um, as you touched on earlier, that sales and marketing alignment around content too, it's pretty clear as a marketer when sales isn't using the content you created. And it's usually pretty clear that they know the prospect usually better than marketing. So that's kind of that red flag, right? If marketing's making all this content and sales isn't using the content, either they can't find it or it's not what the buyer wants. Right. Yeah. I think with a salesperson, again, kind of going back to the beginning where each one has their own ear to the ground. They just have the ear to a different part of the ground in the marketplace and they have different they're getting different feedback from their ideal customers um, on different mediums, on different platforms and different contexts. And so there's, there's data to be derived from both of those. And so I think with a salesperson, like we are hearing more objections than anything else. And so that allows us to take that information and go to our marketing department and say, Hey, these are the objections we're hearing. Can you create content that, that handles those, mm-hmm. that speaks to those, that helps solve those problems. And then likewise, marketing can say, hey, we have a ton of, uh, let's just say, if we're doing advertising, right? Our highest click-through rates are using this particular language. You should use that in your sales outreach because that's what's converting the highest right now. And so now the salesperson is more informed with their messaging that they use on 
you know, whether it's email, cold email, or it's, you know, direct mail, or it's even on their, on their cold calls. They now have different language that they can use because they have data backing them up from the marketing department that says, hey, we're getting far more traction when we A-B test these different subject lines uh, in our email or in our advertising or in our content titles. You should try to use that in your outreach. And that's super powerful for me as a salesperson to be equipped with that. And I think that a lot of us miss the boat or miss an opportunity when we don't try to get or gather that information from you know, the other department, if you will. Well, I think that's really interesting too, when you talk about sales and marketing, learning from each other and really kind of want to help to, to inform the other, that truly is that alignment that we were talking about early on. And I think, you know, content is a great example of that. If you're addressing the buyer's needs and then, you know, if you've got that loop back. So we've always said your best content comes from sales, writing down the questions they got in a given day from a prospect. And, you know, that's going to start to build your editorial calendar. And the more you can answer those questions with content, uh, the more you can, as you talked about earlier, really be ahead of the game in that initial sales conversation with someone else because they've already consumed that content you created. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, when it comes to, on the other side, how content and how marketing helps sales, something that I think has been an incredible innovation, if you will, in, in the technology world is that. Now, with marketing automation and marketing technology, we can track a particular prospect's behavior on our website. So, you know, for instance, maybe I, as a salesperson, did outreach to, let's just call this guy Bob, Bob the CEO. And uh, whatever I said interested him enough to go to our website. Or maybe uh, a piece of valuable content I sent him in an email, you know, intrigued him enough to click and go to our website. So then he goes to our website. And now, uh, with technology, we can track where Bob, the CEO, is going on our website. So I can see if Bob went to these particular pages, those are probably the things that he's most curious about. So when I, the salesperson, turn around and call Bob next week, I know what he's looked at. Now, I may not be super creepy and say, hey, Bob, I saw you on these things, but I can start pulling on some strings that I already know he's interested in. Um, and on top of that, it's going to go a layer further is, you know, there's a new thing that's come out in the past couple of years called lead scoring, which actually does a lot of the work for you. You can essentially set rules based on behavior that assigns certain scores uh, or gives attribute certain points to a prospect. So a prospect might jump on your website and uh, go to certain pages or fill out a particular form or do these things and, and they get a certain amount of points assigned to them. And that then attributes a lead score. How likely is this person to convert at some point? And that tells me, the salesperson, oh, I should focus on these 10 prospects because their lead score is just astronomically bigger than anyone else. They're the closest to the money. They're probably the closest to the one converting. I'm going to call on them today and prioritize them. That helps make me, the salesperson, more efficient and more equipped and probably honestly impacts my ability to generate revenue for the company because I'm more informed uh, this person's probably in their buying window if they have a high lead score. That's valuable information that we didn't have a couple of years ago. And I think it's really helpful, too, when you talk about um, marketing, in my mind, never wants to be in the position of being viewed as someone who gives really bad leads to sales, right? Because then what happens is right. sales doesn't follow up with them and they start ignoring the marketing leads and then marketing's a waste of time and a waste of money. And, you know, that snowball just keeps rolling down the hill and getting bigger. And so some of those tools and some of those techniques to be able to understand 
okay, this person is really engaged, really interested, is the right type of buyer, has the right title, is at the right organization and consumed this content that we had really helps you relate to that buyer. Exactly. Yeah, I think there's a big difference between, like you said, marketing qualified lead and a sales qualified lead. Both have value. Both can convert at any time. But I think uh, when a marketing department aligns well with their sales department, they understand, okay, this is what a qualified lead looks like for our sales department. Let's continue to work them until they're qualified for the sales department. And that way we're only passing them valuable people. And so what is it that we can do with other content or advertising or whatever that that we can essentially try to gather more information. So if someone downloads a guide and then we find out that three days later, they also joined a webinar we had, that's probably a sales qualified lead. They keep coming around. They know our brand. They know what we do. Uh, they seem interested and engaged enough to not only download a long guide that takes some time to read, but are also willing to spend their precious time on one of our webinars that teaches them about the specific subject or topic. That's powerful for me as a salesperson to be past a lead like that because I have a ton of context. And I know that I'm probably not wasting my time. Even if they don't convert right now, they're closer to the money than someone who, you know, maybe just filled out a form on our website a long time ago or downloaded or joined our email list. Mm-hmm. Um, not, to, not to say those people aren't valuable. It's just we don't know enough about them to spend the salesperson's precious time that the company's paying for in a salary on that person just yet. Wrapping up, this was this was a great conversation today. I really appreciate it. I, I always like to ask one final question, which is, what would the Joey of today give as advice to an early career Joey? What have you learned over time? And, and sort of, if you could travel back in time, what would you tell the previous you? Yeah, I don't know that it would necessarily relate to sales and marketing. It definitely impacts those two things. But I think one of the, the best advice I could give to a younger me is you don't need resources to be resourceful. Um, I think that there's a lot of opportunity on the table for someone who's willing to be resourceful. Yeah, I may not have the money today to afford X, Y, and Z, but do I know somebody who I can joint venture with that I can provide them value in another category that I do have? And sometimes that's just time. You know, time is a currency. And so how can I utilize my time combined with relationships to achieve the thing that I can't afford from a dollar perspective, but I can barter services or barter my time. Um, and that's, that's the ultimate resourcefulness. I think if you can figure out a way to accomplish what you want to accomplish, even if you don't have the resources, you're an incredibly powerful individual. I think that a lot of entrepreneurs can learn that a lot of salespeople, marketers, anyone, honestly, uh, especially in the B2B space, like, there's it's very expensive to be in this space but it doesn't mean that you can't be there it doesn't mean that you can't have success there you don't need series a funding you don't need a massive funding around to be successful you need to be resourceful and so that would be something that i would teach myself even early i think i learned it i was very lucky and blessed to have learned that pretty early but i would say i probably would have taught myself that a couple of years earlier uh, i'd be further than i am now um if i just knew that one thing you don't need the money to still get that thing accomplished. You don't need that. You can jump because you can get scrappy and you can be resourceful and find a way to, to, to solve that problem. Great advice. And thanks for your time today, Joey. Really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. 